It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. I just want to commend you on our uh, roadie road. I don't even know how it's said. Our no. class A servo biased Amfax board. So in uh, the second cup of Joe and John, uh, the show since the beginning, we have had somebody that's always helped us refer to them as a producer. And so we're on our own now. And uh, we had to figure this out. It has a lot of buttons, a lot of lights. And we had things we wanted to put in it, and neither one of us were both staring at it. Like, it'll all of a sudden uh, come to us in a dream, and we'll do it. But John studied the book, worked it out, and the intro that you just heard was produced and played by John Dorris. I can't so believe I figured this out. John. Wow. It's just, like, you know how you learn a skill, and then, like, I could edit videotape and put stories together for News 2 from beginning to end. I was the yeah. person that produced that and That's put the audio in. and That's what I did. I could sit in front of that, and I, there's, I wouldn't even know where the on-off switch is. So, I'm just thankful that we got this going. You we, did such a great job. Well, it's like I, you fixing your I, computer. It's like if your computer yeah. breaks, you fixed it yourself. Well, that's unplugging it. That's unplugging it back hitting in. Reset. It's called reboot. Uh, speaking of, of coming through and being great at things, um, people come into your life uh, one day, and then the next day you see them a second day in a row. And our guest is outstanding. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Joe, do you remember, because we're the same age, 59, uh, you moved to You're Hendersonville older. in 78. Oh, whatever. Um, you repeated first grade. Um, I don't know if you did or not. Uh, but we were young for our ages, right? I was 17 yes. when I graduated high school. Well, I, we had those uh, summer birthdays. So my birthday's in yeah. August. Yours is in July. Never so, had the lockers decorated at school or got cupcakes or anything It's like that. one of those our parents could have held us out another year. Yeah. And then we would have been the tallest and the oldest and the fastest in class. I would have had an NFL career. We were the been, youngest. Yeah. I, I grew my senior year. I popped up probably about five or six inches where that would have been my junior year. You know, yeah. I'd have had a great senior year of sports. You, you would have played it. You would have played basketball at WKU. I would have played and, with Dr. J and this would on have been, the Sixers. These and, are our now, forks in the road that we I'm didn't with know. You. you know, I mean. I, I want to just uh, quickly, because uh, the, the military background uh, of our guests, but but really what this person has done uh, in the last several years is even more amazing. But I wanted to ask you, do you remember in 80, I think it was 81, did we not have to register for the draft? I, I, I yeah. thought, yeah, right? We had to when at least 18, put our name. Yeah, You had to go register And that was office. different than, and that was Reagan, right? That, I, that during... I our just think know, it, but yeah, I I, I don't. Did, no, the, did that scare you at all, or did you go on? Whoa, this is uh, this is getting serious. Cold War so. and everything else. I I don't I don't know my uh, war history as well in our 1981, but I don't think there was anything really cranking then. That was the Cold War, kind of our pushback with Gorbachev and uh, Reagan. Remember when they had that summit up north and they walked out disagreeing and all that stuff. Um, there wasn't really anything going on. None of the Gulf Wars had kicked in yet. It was um, 10 so, years later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was just curious. Of, I didn't, yeah. you know, I said I wasn't going to go. I don't Jeez, look good. Pressure. Green's not my color. History so I, I said I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't History go. question. All right. You ready to get to our uh, guest? History. <laughs> we were doing so good. Nope. No, we were doing so good. I got it here. Hey, we know people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. <laughs> we were so good for five minutes. I know, and, and it stops at the letter B. I want to welcome 
to the show, uh, Lieutenant General retired Johnny Bradley. John, 41 years in the Air Force, uh, 7,000 fighter flight hours, 337 combat missions uh, with Vietnam. And what he's done after the fact, been retired 14 years. Um, by the way, we just didn't pick him off the street. This guy grew up in Lebanon, Tennessee. Welcome yeah. to the show, John. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> so far. He's just amazed that we're pushing buttons and we're 59. These I forgot to put up the uh, volume on that. They're like, they're like, if, if the country's defense relied on you two bozos, <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be in, 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 in trouble. China. Uh, they, look, so much to cover uh, through mutual friends. Uh, had coffee with, with John uh, yesterday. And then, um, look, uh, we love to be Nashville-centric and, and highlight uh, people that grew up in this area. Uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, was it in your, I, where do you start, but was it in your genes to go into the military? Did you see that coming? I wanted to go uh, fly airplanes. My uncle had graduated from the Naval Academy and uh, was a, got a commission in the Air Force. This was before there was an Air Force Academy. And I wanted to be a pilot like him because he used to fly over our house in Lebanon, <laughs> low level. He, he blew, yeah. What do you call that when you when you uh, buzzing? You, you buzzing. buzzed. He yeah. buzzed the tower. So he I buzzed thought, your home. I thought he was the coolest guy alive. Well, he I was the coolest like guy. <laughs> so I I applied for at seventeen when I graduated uh, to go to the Air Force Academy, so I could be a pilot. Were we close in our history in eighty one as to what was going on in the well, world? Well, there was a draft, but it ended, and there was no war going on anywhere. Yeah. Just the Cold War, as you said. So you had it right. What what it what ended it, or what did just Congress say? We don't. We've got enough. Well, they decided to, in the seventies to start working on having what they called an all volunteer force. They didn't want to draft people, to force people into uniform, and we haven't done that since then. So we've been going for. 40 years now without a draft, and it's worked. We've been able to attract people to the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Space Force now, Coast Guard. So we're doing well without drafting people. And you, your roots are all, I mean, you're Tennessee. Boy, I mean, yes. you drove over to where we are in East Nashville, and yep. you reflected on a couple of houses not very far, about a seven iron from here. On on uh, Petway Avenue and mm -hmm. on West Eastland, my grandfather and my father was born here in Nashville, and they lived in East Nashville 100 years ago. That's great. Houses are still there. It's still, Oh, that's, that's terrific. And uh, from your days in Lebanon, Tennessee, uh, to becoming Lieutenant General uh, John Bradley, Chief of the Air Force Reserve in D.C., Commander of the Air Force Reserve and command at the uh, Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia. You reported to the Air Force Chief of Staff, and you were supervisor of all U.S. Air Force Reserve uh, units in the world. Um, well, let's go back to, I want to learn how to fly. Yeah. Uh, you enlisted, and um, what, was, what was your process? A lot of guys say that, but there's quite a process that vets people out along the way as to who actually gets in the seat. Well, I wanted to go to a pilot as i said so i applied for uh, entrance to the air force academy and for some reason they accepted me and uh truth in advertising i flunked out of the air force academy after two and a half years and i went to the university of tennessee and made the dean's list and got my commission there through rotc it might tell you something about both schools I'm, jo I'm joking. I'm joking. UT was a, was, it's a very good university. Statute of limitations but, is over. But I got my commission. I went into the Air Force. I went to pilot training and 
the rest is history. I flew for 41 years, and I was flying F-16s when I was almost 63 years old when I retired. So I was the luckiest guy alive. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. John, we're going to get back to that fabulous career, but I really want to skip forward to yeah. uh, your nonprofit that you started and and the uh, the story of heartbreak and and uh, triumph uh, while you were in Afghanistan. Um, and I know you just told it 24 hours ago, uh, but I was uh, in awe. So uh, it's all yours. Thank you. Well, I don't want to uh, suggest that I went to Afghanistan for combat. I was a senior officer in the Air Force visiting my airmen who were deployed there. So I would go over and check on my airmen. I went to Afghanistan five times to visit them, to thank them for their volunteerism, to go there, to see if we'd trained them properly, to see if they needed anything. And uh, so I would go there for four or five days at a time and then come back and report to the chief of staff. He told me, I want you to go over there every quarter. I want you to visit your airmen and come back and tell me what they say. So I would do that. And uh, luckily, I was also flying airplanes. People who were being trained to go to Afghanistan for combat missions in the F-16, a variety of other aircraft as well. And so in, in visiting, I found this volunteerism effort going on at Bagram Air Base and Came back and told my wife about it, and she started collecting blankets and winter clothing and school supplies and turned our house in Washington, D.C. at Bowling Air Force Base into a Goodwill store, and I took 40,000 pounds of humanitarian aid to Afghanistan the next time I went on a big C-17 cargo plane, handing out blankets in a village, and this little girl, nine years old, came up and begged me for boots, which I didn't have for her. Her name was Lamia, L-A-M-I-A. I retired... Ten months later, and my wife and I decided, let's just keep trying to help people in Afghanistan. So we created a nonprofit, a 501c3, called the Lamia Afghan Foundation. We named it for that little girl. And we've built, been building schools, providing humanitarian aid, putting prosthetic legs on kids who lose their legs in explosions, and uh, running schools in refugee camps and sending humanitarian aid to the tune of about three and a half million pounds of humanitarian aid over the years. And my wife and I have been to Afghanistan seven times together. How do you, what have you done, Joe? I brought the coffee. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, John, it's, uh, it's, it's unique that everybody kind of uh, through their experiences of, of life uh, adapt to something like that. Um, in, in, in our church, we visit Honduras for the uh, yeah. Little Roses. It's sure. a girl's school, girls who've been abandoned or abused. Their parents are dead. They have nothing. It's a place where they can live. Fabulous effort. Babies come in, 12-year-olds yeah. come in, whatever, and they can go to school, and they have a chance to move forward in the school system there. Uh, your experience in Afghanistan, maybe talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, draw a circle around what everyday life is there. You know, in Honduras, the average wage is $200 a month. Uh, these folks don't have anything. And they are pounded and controlled uh, by a violent Taliban that's around them. What is life like for a normal person there? It is very difficult. And, and you have to be very aware of the fact that the Taliban is everywhere. They're watching everything you do. The economy is in shambles. $200 a month would be fabulous to have in Afghanistan. We feed a family of eight for a month for $150. Wow. So we're feeding a lot of families as well as running our schools now. But they have to be very careful. No one can get jobs. Everybody's out of money. The Taliban doesn't seem to care about the people. 
They only care about themselves, and they are a brutal regime who does horrible things. They don't let girls go to school beyond the sixth grade, but we have schools that we host 20 girls in. We have 23 of those this school year, 23 schools in homes for 20 girls each, and we let the girls go to 12th grade. So the Taliban doesn't know what we're doing, but we're doing it. We're educating people like we, uh, girls like we have for the last 15 years. The, um, the, aside from the unbelievable humanitarian aid, and I know you give your, your wife a, a lot of credit uh, for this kind of running, running the show, right? But well, there's absolutely. a story about, about you also helping to reunite a family. Can yes. you uh, briefly kind of go through Certainly. that? Certainly, John. At the end of the uh, time that we were in Afghanistan, we, the U.S. military, uh, the president said we're going to get out, and we started evacuating people. And you know how chaotic chaotic the evacuation was in August of 2021. Thousands of people flooding to the airport trying to get on U.S. military planes to fly out to come to the United States. And a family I was trying to help had gone there. I had a letter of introduction I'd written for this family. They showed this letter to the soldiers and Marines on the wall at the airport, and they said, we're going to bring you in. So they pulled the little seven-year-old girl over the wall, a 13-year-old boy over the wall. They pulled the mother, the wife of this man, over the wall. And then the suicide bombing happened that you remember killed 13 soldiers and Marines and also 200 Afghans and injured many more. The father and a 14-year-old son were still outside the wall and they didn't get in. But the suicide bombing killed that mother, that wife, with two little children beside her. They were injured. And those two children were taken to the medical facility on the airport treated and put on an airplane to Germany the next morning. And they are now in the United States with their aunt and grandparents, uh, all of whom are American citizens now. They had come to the United States several years ago, and I was trying to help this woman in Alexandria get her brother and family here. It took 13 months to get the father and older son out, and they are now in the United States and doing well in Virginia. The kids are in school. They're learning English. They're doing well. So it was a real tragedy along with many other tragedies that we saw in those days. But I was thankful we finally got this uh, father and, and older son back with uh, his two children, his two young children. And there's many friends there. of Americans and the uh, our, yes. oh. our, our military over there who helped us through the whole thing. For sure. And we, everybody just bugged out and basically left them to fend on their own in some way. There are thousands who still want to get out and need to get out because they were interpreters for the U.S. military. There is a special immigrant visa program available for them, but it takes months and years sometimes to get people cleared for that. There are other processes to get... Uh, visas for people that work for nonprofits like ours mm -hmm. and we have many volunteers over there afghan volunteers who have worked for us that i'm still trying to get out i had tried to get them out during the evacuation and none of them got out other than this one man's two little children but at any rate there are thousands who still need to get out and the government is a little bit too slow on processing these visa applications if people want to know about this nonprofit feel free and we'll, we'll pound it. Um, what's the, what's the email or the address or how, how can they just lamia.org L A M I A. You can, you can Google Lamia Afghan and you'll find it. It's the Lamia Afghan foundation. So I could talk about the Taliban all day. Just how do these idiots do anything against us in 15 year old Toyota pickup trucks riding around in the back? They look so disorganized, so chaotic 
but yet, uh, you know, put the fight on against Russia years and years ago. And, yeah. and it stuck it to us for years. They're, they're just like bugs. Um, is it is it the terrain that they can hide so well in the hills and they just know the area that, you know, better than we do? Well, they do in many cases. The Afghan army was not as resilient as we would have wished. Their leadership was not good. I think the president of the country at the time, President Ghani, did not show good leadership. He left, he left the city before uh, the Taliban moved into Kabul. If he'd been more like uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine and, and shown some backbone, maybe they would have fought harder. But the generals in charge of the Afghan National Army were not always paying their troops. They weren't feeding them. And they just gave up the fight. The sure. Taliban fought harder. They wanted it more than the Afghan army, and that's why they won. And what's going on now? You know, when everyone left, well, the Taliban's our friend now. They're going to fix things and make, you know, there was even a, a storyline of that. You, you don't hear much about it anymore. Is it, are they just sitting there regrouping a little bit at a time? Uh, what's life like over there now? Life is very difficult because there's a lack of, of, uh, the, the economy is suffering terribly, a lack of jobs. People don't have enough money to feed their families. We've been feeding hundreds of people as, as we've had donations enough, but that's dropped off. So about all we have money left for is to keep our schools open because we have designated grants for the schools. But life is very difficult. People can't get jobs. It's hard to feed their families. It's a very tough existence. It's cold there. The city of Kabul has more than 60,000 people living in what you would call a refugee camp or IDP camps, internally displaced persons camps, living in tents. It's cold. It's, the elevation is over 5,000 feet in Kabul. Wow. There's mountains around. It's, it's like living in Denver in a yeah. tent is what it's like. It's tough life. Uh, well, you, this was probably not a, a hard sell for you with your wife, your wife, Jan. Yes. She's a local gal, went to Lipscomb University. That's right. So uh, there was probably a lot of pastoral care in her heart already. So when this whole thing came together, it just was meant to be. Listen, Jan is the heart and soul of our work. Who knows if I would have kept doing this if it hadn't been for her. But uh-huh. people write her every day. People find her. People in Afghanistan find her and plead with her for medical care, for food, for their families. She is the driving force in our work in Afghanistan. And, and she went with me seven times to Afghanistan after I retired. We did, just because I was used to be a lieutenant general didn't give me any rights on any military base in Afghanistan. We just lived on the economy over there, drove around in a beat-up Toyota, and and <laughs> – she was she was putting clothes on babies in refugee camps and washing their feet and getting socks and shoes on them. And I mean, she is an amazing woman who is has done more for Afghan people than anybody, anyone I know almost. Hey, honey, after uh, yeah. I retire of four and a half, four decades, um, <laughs> we're not going on a Caribbean cruise. OK, <laughs> I'm I'm taking you yes. somewhere warm and and it, this is going to be an adventure. But no, what a no house in Naples, Florida. No, let's go to she no six handicap. Me that. She says all these people go to Italy. They go to wherever in the world. I said, hey, I've taken you to Afghanistan. How many women do you know have been to Afghanistan? You're lucky. You yeah. are so lucky. Odd question. How do you get to Afghanistan? How do you fly? What's your route in there? You go from I, Dulles Airport. Typically, we would fly from Nashville to Dulles Airport in Washington, mm-hmm. fly to Dubai, and then get on an Air, Afghan airline, some of which are not very good. They are uh, not the best airplanes in the world, best maintained, but we got there from Dubai to Kabul and then reverse route to come home. It's a, wow. it's a 15-hour flight 
to Dubai, typically, it's a long way. It's a wow. tough, tough route. We, we like to think of this podcast as inspirational and motivational and, and, uh, I mean, this is, this is heavy stuff, but it, if, what, what John and his wife, Jan, have been doing uh, is certainly there's hope, uh, and you're giving people uh, smiles that you, uh, it's, just, it's just very humbling to, to have you here. Um, it, I want to back up a little bit. Okay. Uh, it, Vietnam was a big part of your life. Uh, right. um, I have a, a dear friend uh, whose f- uh, father-in-law was a Top Gun pilot in uh, oh. Vietnam, um, uh, Joe Biddle, a dear friend of ours who just passed, a sports writer, yeah, uh, Vietnam. Um, but but it, yeah. it it is it's it, nobody they don't want to talk about it, and yeah. and I I get that. So yeah, sure. I'm not asking you to talk about it, but I'm just you, you spent a I lot will. of time yeah. over that, and and how do you reflect 40 years later? Because that is looked differently, you know, with, with Ken Burns' deal yeah. and so forth, sure. differently than, yeah. than 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 you know. I saw I saw the. Ken Burns uh, documentary. He's he's a national treasure. Mm-hmm. It was good. In fact, I was at a Vietnam War summit at the LBJ Library in Austin, Texas, a few years ago, and Ken Burns came to talk about the documentary he's putting together on Afghanistan. I met the photographer who took the famous photo of the little girl who was hit by napalm. I, I talked to him afterwards. I had flown out of the air base uh, at Benoit 337 times doing close air support missions. And, you know, some people ask you about it, and I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. I lost squadron mates. I mean, people were shot down. We lost several people while I was there. I was fortunate and uh, made it back okay. I don't think being a pilot there was as hard as being a soldier on the ground or a Marine on the ground in, in the mud and muck of the jungles and all. But, you know, we got shot at too, and I lost some good friends. And a lot of people have some uh, difficulties. We were on the base where Agent Orange was stored, and we used to fly escort missions for the birds that were spraying that. But I look at uh, my time in Vietnam. I'm proud of the 41 years of service I've given to the country. I was a lucky, lucky guy. I got to serve longer and fly more than anybody I've known. But I got to tell you, I think the last 15 years of my life have been the most important. And I think what We've done, my wife and I have done in Afghanistan and all our volunteers, the people who have helped us all these years, I think that that's much more important because we've educated thousands and thousands of girls who will eventually change the crazy culture they have there and they will take over and they'll provide leadership for that country and it'll come out of the dark ages. But the Taliban is a repressive regime. They're horrible people. They kill people indiscriminately. They beat people. It's crazy. And the only thing that will change that is educating girls who will make a change in that country. And we feel like what we've done contributes to that. And, again, I believe it's more important than the work I did in the Air Force. What were you flying? In, in I was flying a little two-engine jet called an A-37. A-37. It's, a, it's a little uh, jet that was made from a trainer plane, the T-37, but they beefed it up, put bomb racks on the under the wings and fuel tanks on the end of the wings, tip tanks, and it had a little Gatling gun in the nose, and we did close air support missions. Okay. We were supporting the U.S. Army and Marines on the ground who were in firefights with uh, Viet Cong or the North Vietnamese. We would support Vietnamese, the South Vietnamese Army uh, in close air support missions and so forth. We flew some of our missions in South Vietnam and some in Cambodia because it, the time period I was there in 1970 and 71 but we did close air support missions. You're diving down, bombing close to your own troops, 
with targets that are marked by forward air controllers. So it was a it was a good little airplane for what it was used for because it was kind of slow and you could be very accurate with your weapons delivery. The precursor to the A-10. The precursor of the A-10, exactly. You're smart. You know it. And I flew the A-10 also for oh, a couple neat. of thousand hours. It's an amazing airplane. It cool? still does great work today. It did great work in Iraq and Afghanistan also. And the A-10 is the plane that you see on TV. It's, it generally has something painted on the nose from, I don't know what that gun is called on the front of it. It's a Gatling gun. It's just a massive... 30 millimeter Gatling gun, Massive. seven barrels. And it's the one that you'll see in all the footage that's diving down. Looks yes. like it's going to crash and it'll unload and then yep. boom. And very dangerous uh, flying. I love that plane. Fabulous aircraft. It is a great for close plane. air support. Well, you earned the uh, Distinguished uh, Flying Cross. Uh, you have some uh, over 28 other major awards. Uh, we need to take you to Nashville Preds game so you can be honored <laughs> at the uh, military <laughs> salute because they couldn't fit all your awards up on the oh, That game would be four and a half hours long. Great. Yeah. I love that part. I don't need to be honored. I've, I've been honored to have served, <laughs> and I've retired, and, and I'm proud of that service. But uh, thank you for your nice comment. I appreciate it. Okay, this is going to be one of the more awkward segues, but this is the name of the segment. So we're going to do some really, really – Joe, what do you think? Should I hit the button? Because, all right, this is just quick questions, all right? Rapid, 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 rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid. That may be one of the more tasteless things we've ever done. But, John, that's the name of the segment. And I know you could roll with it, but this is just for. General loves it. Diddy. It's fun to watch you guys. I'm telling you, this is interesting. There's a lot going on here. I got, yeah, I'm, I'm working at all this. So. Uh, just things right out. Of, what what music do you listen to? What's on the uh, in your CD player or uh, your iPod or whatever? I've got more than a thousand songs on my phone. But oh, cool. Okay, I may not be very cool, but yeah, yeah. John Denver was my favorite. Sure, I yeah. flew John Denver once in an F four, and uh, he sang a song for my wife and me at a concert in Austin, Texas Aww. that night. It's the coolest thing ever. So, but I love Coldplay. I like a lot of variety of music, but I listen to a lot of John Denver. How I'm just could- very touched by him. You, you checked the fuel. Like that's a terrible yeah. question. <laughs> John Denver died in a plane crash, that's I believe, right. because he ran out of fuel, didn't he? He did. Uh, There's a. He had bought this experimental yeah. plane, and there <laughs> were was a second fuel tank, and yeah. the switch to switch fuel tanks for the engine was back behind the seat, so he had to reach Couldn't back reach to it. turn a lever back there to change fuel uh. tanks. So he he had fuel in the airplane. He just didn't. Couldn't Apparently, get, it going. get the switch Off. turned. It's a shame. Off. Okay, okay. <laughs> another uplifting. Well, we're <laughs> we talking, are. We're talking I'm just full of good news. Aren't I know I? we are. You, you'd just be in the back with your <laughs> cup of something. <laughs> no, you guys could go the on for close. Yeah, <laughs> it is getting closer. What's up, uh, John? What's um, good place to eat here? You've been. You, you're a Middle Tennessee guy. What's one of your favorite go-to restaurants? Well, I like. Uh, a lot of places to eat anything that has food. I'm not real. Uh, one of my favorite places, if people visit from out of town, I take them to Brick Tops. Oh, yeah. Love Brick Tops. I think it's a fabulous restaurant, very consistent and good food. But I like little dives also, you know. So we had a little place in Lebanon that closed uh, because of COVID, Sunset Restaurant. I, I used to go to Le- uh, Lebanon and have fried catfish at Sunset Restaurant, but there are a lot of great restaurants in Nashville. There are a lot in East Nashville. I know you all know it better than I do, but uh, can't get in anymore. Yeah. Or you go to five five thirty. 
I'm um, just enjoying John saying Lebanon, Tennessee, because whenever we'd get a new weather guy on the TV, it'll be 42 degrees in Lebanon, and you know, <laughs> you know, Lebanon, the, you know, the calls are coming in yeah. next to Mari County, Mari County, and did you have what or Lafayette, Smyrna, 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 Smyrna is a good one, and Lafayette, Lafayette, because it's Lafayette, you know, Lafayette, there's there's another one, some local speak here. How did you meet your wife? I met my wife because of the Air Force. I was uh, flying A-37s at uh, Barksdale Air Force Base, Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, she had moved to Shreveport to be near her brother and his family. She was single. She was from Decatur, Alabama, and had a couple of different jobs and just decided to move to Shreveport to be near her one of her brothers. And she ended up applying for a job on the air base, and she, she got hired, and she was there about three months before I met her. There were people always trying to tell her about me and people telling me about her. And I, you know, I didn't go over to the office where the personnel office where she worked, but finally I got up the nerve to go and I met her. I met her because of the air force reserve. So it was wonderful. What was the first date? The first date we went to a movie and I took her to a dive restaurant in uh, Shreveport called Merle's Uh and, uh, that was a test to see, you know, if she had what it takes. But I'll well, tell you, you were loaded, is, also. So you- <laughs> she was the sweetest, most genuinely nice person I've ever known. Still is. She That's is great. just an amazing. If you met her, you would just you'd fall in love with her. She's just so kind and nice. She's the same to everybody. It doesn't matter if you are a sergeant or a general or a mister. What what? Are, she's the same to everybody. She just treats everyone the same, and she's just wonderful, nice. We've been late in uh, on the twenty second of March. We will have been married forty eight years now. All right, that is fantastic. And, and I was almost here. thirty when I got married. Me too. Yes, I really no. almost had given up. I thought I'm never going to meet the right girl. But boy, I tell you what, she blew me off my feet right away. I bet she puts you uh, if you get on a high horse too. Oh, right? believe me, she knows how to take me down. Our daughter Leanne knows how to take me down as well. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing like having a, a daughter to keep your head from swelling too big, believe me. A question we ask every guest is what advice would you give your eighteen year old self now? Oh study harder, play less, make sure you get through school and get a good education and go try to do the work that you feel compelled to do. Follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Do what your heart but but prepare for it. Do you said when uh, you you came out of the Air Force Academy? Yes, I think you used the word flunked out. Do you put that on yourself that you just were, were you not ready for it? Did you feel you didn't work hard enough, or was it just too much at too one much time? play? Well, you know, it, a, a number of factors. Yeah, might have been involved. I I did really well in high school, a very good school in Lebanon, uh, Castle Heights Military Academy, which has been closed now since 1986, but. Really good education. I graduated fourth in my class. I went to the Air Force Academy. I studied hard, but I didn't uh, probably uh, study quite hard enough sometimes. I was involved very athletically and in other things they make you do. It's a, it's a tough course of study there. Uh-huh. I also had uh, lost a brother who had just uh, graduated from the Naval Academy the year before I flunked out and, or the summer before I flunked out, and uh, he had been flying in the Navy, and his airplane went down in the Atlantic, an F-4 fighter plane. He was in the back seat, and uh, that really sent me for a loop. He was yeah. kind of my hero, and I think my father thought that uh, that had a lot to do with my not being able to 
finished the school. But you know what? I went on with life. I went on uh, to the University of Tennessee, got an ROTC because I still wanted to fly airplanes, and and it worked successfully. I made the dean's list, as I said, which was amazing. Nobody would have expected that, but I graduated. I was a distinguished graduate in ROTC and went on and had a, a wonderful career that I, I couldn't have uh, – Planned better. I didn't plan it. It just all happened. Kept moving on. Yep. Joe, Joe, did you make Dean's list? That. I'm just curious. No, I never made any list. I made it my junior year, and my, my dad called and said, you're ruining the family name. Because <laughs> <laughs> none of our kids got on the Dean's I know about you yet. Well, it's, you know, for my flying and the typewritings I get, it's difficult. Study. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you really have to be in a groove. Oh, and because it, it rolls boom, 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 oh, yeah. one after another. And so if you kind of get out of that lane, um, you know, you're, you're having to fly, study, fly, yep. study, fly, study. So you, it's like a golf round, if you would. You, there's just no bad hole. You have to continuously keep pounding. It. I so think I was difficult. meant to fly. The, I've yeah. been through an, a number, a large number of formal Air Force training courses uh, for flying airplanes. And they are not easy, as you know, right. as a pilot. It's tough. You've got to study a lot. You've got to fly a lot. You've got to apply yourself. And uh, I think I did well as a pilot. I was a, a good pilot. I never had any big problems. I never had an accident, thankfully. I was very fortunate to fly uh, the kinds of airplanes I flew and, uh, and how m- many hours I flew to not have serious emergencies. I had some emergencies, of course, but you're trained to handle those. So. Sure just takes a lot of application. I'll follow up one more question with that. Uh, uh, latest book, last book you're reading? I'm reading one now by a historian called Enduring Vietnam. It, it was written by uh, a history professor at Dartmouth who ended up being the president of the university. He had served in Vietnam back in the early 1960s as a Marine. And uh, it's a very interesting book. I read Boys in the Boat recently. I mean, girl... Uh, Boys in the Boat about a rowing team in the Olympics 100 years ago. And uh, I read the book about Jim Thorpe. That I have that on my – I'm reading that right now. I heard David Marinus at Parnassus Book talk about it, and I bought the book, and, and it's fascinating. Good. What an yeah. amazing athlete. I, I read uh, – I'm reading everything with David Marinus, and, I, and yeah. before this – and he wrote it in 1999, the uh, Vince Lombardi, yes. uh, uh, which was just fascinating. He's written yeah. several books, and his son is a good uh, one, author as well. Uh, he's, yeah, who, who went to Vanderbilt, That's who right. we got to know That's through right. sports information. Yep. Right. So on and on, we're going to go to the next segment. Joe and John have come to uh, the fork in the I'm road. I hope I'm not getting too wordy. Oh, you are not getting too are you kidding me? John is. And by the way, I didn't this the, John. Uh, the, Lieutenant <laughs> General, not you. Am I the issue? Yes. Uh, we, <laughs> of course, I'm, I'm always the issue. No, you're, you're fantastic. You're you. fantastic. But we've, you've, we've talked about a lot of different twists and turns. Is there another fork in your life that a decision you made or, or maybe you didn't? Uh, you know, I think about the happenstance of meeting your wife when she was on the base. Um, it, you know, is there anything else? Of course there is. <laughs> I'm sure there is. We'll have to dig on, into that. But I'll tell you, I think that uh, the thing that I never expected was uh, that I would be involved in Afghanistan. If I had not uh, met that little girl, Lamia, in Afghanistan, I don't know what I would have been doing. I knew what I didn't want to do when I finished uh, my Air Force career. I didn't want to go work for a defense company or be a consultant. You know, I didn't want to go try to sell things to my friends in the Pentagon. I just 
because I had met that little girl, I decided, you know, I want to help people in Afghanistan. And I wouldn't have thought about it. I had been interviewed by the American Red Cross to be their president and CEO. I know that. Don't laugh. But, I mean, I really was. And I was in the finals. I didn't get the job. But it got me thinking about nonprofit work. So when I retired, I decided I was going to start this foundation to work in Afghanistan. And i got to tell you, most important thing I've done in my life, I think, other than asking my wife to marry me and uh, having a wonderful daughter who helps us a lot in our work. but uh, And she's coming to visit today from uh, Minneapolis, so we're looking forward to seeing her. Just one daughter? One, one daughter. What's, yeah. uh, what's, what's your best tip on being a dad? <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, I, I, your best accomplishment. <laughs> I, I thought uh, raising a daughter would be a lot easier than a son. I don't think that's correct no. at all, <laughs> although I don't have experience raising a son. But uh, you've just got to gotta listen to them, listen to them, and uh, try to give them everything you teach your children when they're teenagers. They actually hear it. It sinks in. And, and later, you'll see it all coming out. Thankfully, our daughter has the heart of, our, of my wife, Jan. She is a, just an amazing young woman. She's doing a great job in Minneapolis in her career. But I'm very proud of her because she has a great heart, just like her mother. Minneapolis is so cold. Oh. How is she enduring that? I don't know how she does wow. it. And she doesn't complain about it. But she oh. and her husband, Charlie, are just doing great work up doing there. The and they're doing great. We love seeing them. What are some of your hobbies? What I mean, are you a golfer? Or are you? Do I'm not you, a golfer. Okay, never. I mean, I'm surprised because most people in the Air Force like to play golf. You yeah. think, but I, I never did. And uh, I like hiking and backpacking and uh, photography. I've I've done a lot of photography over my time. I'm an amateur, but I've got a couple of good cameras, and I love taking photographs. But I've done a lot of backpacking in East Tennessee, Western North Carolina, wilderness areas, out in New Mexico. Colorado. I've just always enjoyed hiking and backpacking. What's one of your favorite bases that you uh, serve time on, whether through training here in the States or where you deployed? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Is there a better one than others? They're all, they were all fun and good because I got to fly and that's what I wanted to do in life. And, but you know, I had other jobs as I moved on in my career beyond flying. I was also a commander. I just had great – my favorite probably was in Kansas City, a little base called Richards Gabauer Air Force Base. It's closed now. Base closure has closed a lot of places I've served. <laughs> but it was just fabulous. It was a wonderful group of airmen who worked there, and we were flying the A-10, and, and uh, these folks did great work. They deployed to Afghanistan several times over the years. What do you think about these China balloons? Has it been going on forever? <laughs> probably more than we thought and, and noticed. I think we missed some of them. Sure. Probably we've learned that uh, maybe our radars weren't looking in the right places or with the right intensity for certain things, but it's just kind of crazy I, that uh, they would be flying across the United States like that. And Probably so been going on for years, hasn't probably it? Probably has. And, and we know. might do the same kind of thing also. Sure. I yeah. hope so. Along those lines, we... we <laughs> but I can't we, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> We said in different podcasts that uh, when you were, uh, you've been in the air flying and you have seen things that you can't explain. I have. You, you and you yeah. absolutely, is that, would that? I haven't seen any of these uh, unknown phenomena myself in, in my flying, and I've done a lot of flying, but I've seen video from Navy pilots and Air Force pilots. I've seen some of the videos that the Defense Department has released that show these uh, unusual objects out there that can move 
quickly uh, yeah. from left to right, up and down. I don't know what they are. They're unexplained. It's I got to see that. I saw the China balloon. Did you? Yep. Um, you did recently? The, the original China? Mm-hmm. Um, the original? The, the, the original genuine? China. The one that we all watch <laughs> go across the entire country? You yeah. saw that while you were yeah. in your um, jet? It was up in Montana. And we had a flight going from West Palm Beach to St. Louis, and the jet stream had brought it down north of St. Louis. And so you could see it up there. And a sidebar story to that was uh, we went uh, Nashville, West Palm, St. Louis. On our way from Nashville to West Palm, you you go down through Birmingham and cut on over. Well, a plane in front of us said, do you guys painting anything up here? We're at 45,000 feet, probably 50-some thousand feet. The plane in front of us is asking yeah. that. And Atlanta Air Traffic Control goes, uh, we have nothing. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was a great guy. Some air traffic controllers are little sticklers for stuff. But he was like, as a government employee, I can truly say, I don't know. You know, yeah. he's like, we don't see anything. Yeah. And so we asked where it was in relative position to us. And he said about 1 o'clock and 30 miles. And we looked out the window, and it was there another it was. huge balloon. No kidding. You didn't hear anything about it on the news. And it was wow. Right over Talladega, Alabama. And really? so uh, he started asking others, and everybody saw it. And then when we came, we not only back uh, from West Palm to St. Louis, we saw that balloon, and then we saw the original China balloon. Wow. So I think there's well, even more going on yeah. that's even been reported. Probably we don't see, see all of them. It was over Talladega. You know, if you're not first, over you're last. Talladega. <laughs> so the China wants uh, some intel on that Talladega super speedway. What do they do there? <laughs> all right, Sorry, here we go. That was a bad impression. <laughs> what do they do there? You got to wear shades. <laughs> all right. We try to end and uh, on a high note, and I know we can. Uh, what makes you believe that our future and maybe, uh, to the point in, in the Middle East that this thing will ever be resolved. Uh, you talked about your school and these children that will, will change the culture, but it will be when we are all gone. Yeah. So give me, give me Brightner. I believe that, uh, the girls that we've educated in Afghanistan will ultimately change that country because they grow up to be wives and mothers who teach their girls and boys how to treat women with dignity and respect they will take control of the government and afghanistan will turn around someday it's going to take a long time we may be gone but i have great hope in the young people of afghanistan they want an education the girls and the boys it's important to educate boys too but we've been educating boys there a long time look where we are so girls are the key to the future i also believe in america our young people are fabulous they love this country they want an education. They want to work hard. And I, I feel good for the future of our country, too. But I think it's girls who will really lead the way in Afghanistan, ultimately. It may take a number of years, but they'll get there. My boys are 23 and 21. Uh, it's a different generation. Yeah. I think I tell them all the time, you're, you're, you're the ones who are going to heal the world. That's right. Uh, they just don't. They don't see things the way, you know, at 59 years of age. I don't know. Things were more skewed. And uh, my family had a family business. So in World War II, uh, you know, the Japanese were coming after your business and everything else that was around. You know, there was a lot more paranoia of stuff. Um, So I I really think you're correct. It's this generation that will make a change. I think they're better and smarter than we were. I mean, you know. You said it better. (laughs) I think my daughter is, but she's older than your children. But yeah. But I, I believe the young people of America are going to make this an even better place. I really do. Yeah. Um, so you uh, are retired and, and, again, didn't play golf or anything. But um, 
you've seen Nashville and this yeah. area, Middle Tennessee, grow. And yeah. and uh, we had Butch Bearden on not not too long ago, who's kind of the godfather of all that. Yeah, good, bad, or indifferent in terms of you know if you're not growing, you're dying. And so, um, what what do you think about the future? You obviously, you and your wife have decided to stay here. Yes. Well, I uh, I love Tennessee. I was always proud to have been from Tennessee. I didn't. Uh, I tried carefully uh, when I went to school at the Air Force Academy and university. I didn't want to sound like I was some country boy, <laughs> but I'm proud of Tennessee and I, I love it and I want to live here the rest of my life. I plan to be buried here in a family cemetery over near Lebanon, and uh, but I think that's 20 years away. So I, I'm enjoying life here in Nashville and I, I love Tennessee. It's a beautiful state. Did you have a name? As a pilot, were you Viper, Bird Dog, <laughs> Volunteer? Well, at one point, I was called Buzz, which I don't want to go into that one. Uh, I was called Coach and Chief. They nicknamed me Coach when I was flying F-16s because they later told me, we thought because you're an older guy, we're going to have to carry you along. So they called me Coach, like the Coach Bag, you know? Right. Oh, coach oh, oh yeah. I did not yeah. see oh, that. Yeah, it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> but I thought it was pretty cool, so I go by Coach. Coach. <laughs> Uh, I had the uh, uh, good fortune uh, a few years ago of landing on an aircraft carrier in the oh, middle of the wow. uh, Atlantic at U- uh, USS Truman. Wow. Uh, a number of youth leaders from Tennessee take tour of the academy, and they said, on this particular deal, we can go overnight. So I had that wonderful experience, wow. but I uh, 5,000 people on this yeah. on this carrier, uh, these uh, soldiers, uh, sailors. Uh, but one of them, I felt so bad, because you don't give yourself your own nickname. They nicknamed this guy Rookie. <laughs> that's that's like that's, it's like how do you have swagger? You know, you're five years into it. What's your name, Rookie? Really? Well, what would yours be, Joe? I don't do know. Think? I was going to ask you what you. What, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, like you said, you don't name yourself. Yeah, and it's usually some quirk about you that people grab That's onto. That's exactly what it is. I, I I know a guy that was called Sparky, which right. doesn't sound like a real macho fighter pilot name. Right. But he dragged the tail of his F sixteen <laughs> on the runway yeah. on landings. Yeah. So you know, sent up Sparks. So they call him Sparky. It is. So yeah. there's some incident you do in it's, your flying life, and they'll give you a nickname based on that. Due to uh, your my, failure, they let you relive it all the time. <laughs> there by you Telling the story of why mine, mine would be passed out or something. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be like, passed like, out. That's pass out not over there. Good flying. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> well, listen. I, I know another uh, names and things, John, that, that you've been called when when uh, people talk about you, uh, and you know your record goes without. I mean, it's just stunning. But also, one word that keeps coming up is compassionate, and and you and what you're doing in your work. Um, you know, thank you, obviously, for your service, but you. <clears throat> your second chapter, your 2.0, we both all, well, Joe has 4.0s. He's yep. a rock and roll drummer and DJ and evangelical uh, lay minister, by the way. Can wow. you believe that? No. No, no, no. no, no. no. Quite just, frankly, no. No, no. And 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 now now back to flying. How would I know? How would I know? No, no I'm joking. <laughs> thank you. That's very complimentary, but I'll tell you, if you think I'm good, you should meet my wife. I'm telling you, she is the heart and soul of our work, and she is just fabulous. And people in Afghanistan love her. They know her. People write her all the time, every day, asking for help. That's well, wonderful. Thank you. Well, John, uh, f- for you and your wife, Jan, uh, may God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you with all that you're doing in a healing touch. Thank you uh, so much. For kids. Thank you. 
that uh, can't help themselves. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. You're thank welcome. you. Sure. And we thank you for being on the Second Cup of Joe and John. It's the Second Cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, Second Cup of Joe and John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another Second Cup of Joe and John. <laughs>